welcome to the Momentum Matters podcast, where we have courageous conversations with women leaders. You'll hear about their accomplishments, experiences, challenges, and best advice. If you're inspired by women who've overcome the barriers and gone on to do extraordinary things, you're in the right place. I'm Karen Tarada, CEO of Social U, a digital marketing firm specializing in social media management, training, and consulting. I'm pleased to introduce to you our host, April Benatolo. April is the CEO at Momentum Leaders, a Birmingham-based nonprofit on a mission to advance women in leadership. Hi, I'm April Benatolo, and welcome to Momentum Matters. Our guest today is Amanda Keller. Amanda Keller is the founding director of the Magic City Acceptance Center, and she works with LGBTQ youth services. Um, She's been doing this advocacy work since she volunteered at an AIDS outreach center in her home state of Ohio. Amanda's now in her 11th year of working with Birmingham AIDS Outreach and the Magic City Acceptance Center, and she has so many great accolades to her name. It's not even possible to list them all, but you can also see them in our show notes. Amanda's a graduate of the 2019 American Express Leadership Academy. She serves on the board of the Children's Policy Council, She is on Mayor Woodfin's LGBTQ Advisory Board. And some of her additional awards include the 2015 B-Metro Fusion Award, the 2017 Ben Rowell Community Service Award, 2017 Women Who Shape the State Honoree, 2018 Sylvia Rivera Game Changer Award, one of the 2018 Birmingham Business Journal's Women to Watch, and a member of the Leadership Birmingham class of 2020. Amanda is a young leader who has packed so much into her career and gives so much to her work and so much to her community. It is my great pleasure to introduce you to her here today. Amanda, um, I'd like to kind of start by learning a little bit more about your background. Now, you are not a native of Birmingham, correct? Correct. So I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Actually, I was born in Chicago, raised all over the place, mostly brought up in um, Cleveland, Ohio, and moved to Birmingham in 2006. So my family is still in Ohio, a little bit in North Carolina, um, but I consider Alabama very much home. I've been here, I think, longer than I actually spent growing up in Ohio. So I'm not a native, but this is definitely my home. So you have tipped over that that fulcrum of uh, <laughs> now you are a Birminghamian. I am indeed. I would claim Birmingham before I claim Ohio, if that does any justice <laughs> to anyone out there who's bothered by that. Especially in the winter months? Yes, especially in the winter months. I miss the snow just a little bit. I just want to look at it and then I want to come back to Alabama and not <laughs> have to deal with it. I understand that. Um, how did you? How would you describe your family uh, and and your upbringing, Amanda? That is always a really challenging question. Uh, I think being a queer woman, it is it's one of those things where you have to broach that topic lightly because not everyone is connected to their family. I'm really lucky that my family is incredibly supportive and kind and loving, and my mom even wanted us. Um, 
to have matching pride bracelets for pride month. And so I'm tremendously supported. I should also share that with a caveat that my father was gay. Um, and so I grew up in a household where, uh, he really wanted a family. He and my mom made it work for 22 years. Um, and then unfortunately they were not able to make it work any longer. And so growing up, in a household where uh, that was something that was hidden um, meant that when I came out, my family was tremendously supportive. So um, I grew up in a very typical family of four, brother, sister, mom, dad, um, except that it was anything but typical um, because we were all just trying to make it work. So um, I'm very lucky that I have a very loving home and came from a home that was already understanding of the challenges of coming out. And so when you when you came out to your family, did your father equally come out at that time? Unfortunately, no. My father passed away when I was 18. Um, he, I actually lost him from HIV-related complications. And so uh, he came out in his last six months before we lost him. So I did not know anything until the last six months of his life um, and learned that. And so I think it, it made my family even more willing to just be open. Um, and that's the entire reason I do the work that I do because my father was not able to live authentically. And because of that, he wasn't able to have open conversations with his healthcare providers, with those around him. Um, and he might still be alive today had he been able to just have open conversations. So, um, of course, when I came out, my family was like, yes, that's great. That's fine. <laughs> How do we support you? So um, I'm, I'm really excited to see that change in my own family and then also in our, our culture of family acceptance. Yeah. So um, you you moved to Birmingham in pursuit of a degree at UAB, correct? Yes. It was in pursuit of a human who's no longer in that storyline. So I, I like pursuit of a degree better. <laughs> So that, that, you know, humans kind of come along with a lot of our life choices. Um, so I, get, I, I totally understand that. Tell us a little bit about how you came to decide to do the work. I mean, I do understand, right, given your father's history, your desire to do that outreach. Some of our younger audience, and sometimes our older ones too, maybe have these passions and then are just not able to connect their their education um, to the to the real work that they want to do how did, how were you able to to make those things connect that's a really lovely question i think my advice for anyone looking to get into things that they're passionate about is to just get your foot in the door in whatever way you can. So for me, I had no intention of doing this work. I, in fact, had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I had studied everything from communications to philosophy and ended up with a degree in philosophy because I wanted to have a well-rounded education and, and wasn't sure where that would take me, but I knew that that would give me the basic building blocks for having effective conversations with folks, being able to diplomatically respond to situations and, and think through and process different things. So it worked perfectly for me in this line of work, um, not to mention LGBTQ folks just love 
pontificating about things. And so it's, it's been a really lovely transition for me to continue doing that. Um, but I actually came to BAO, Birmingham AIDS Outreach, which is our parent organization, in 2009 when I was at UAB. And I was just looking to do volunteer work because, as I said, losing my father to HIV-related complications meant that I didn't really have a lot of time in his lifetime to... Um, get more connected to that and get more connected to those conversations. So um, I looked up AIDS Task Force, which was in Ohio, what it was called, and I found BAO. So I just started volunteering. I, I called one day and said, do you take volunteers? And I'm so grateful that they did. So for several months, I actually just showed up and made food boxes and hung out at the agency and was probably really annoying <laughs> to folks now, now realizing like how hard it is to, to uh, manage volunteers. But I was just at the agency so much, they eventually pulled me aside and said, would you like to work here because you're here all the time? Um, and so I actually, my first day of work was December 1st, 2009, which is World AIDS Day, which is something that I I'm forever hold really sacred in my history here. Um, and that was nearly 14 years ago. So I've been here ever since. Um, and so I think for me, I'm really lucky that it turned out that way. And of course, the center didn't exist back then, but I've, I've just been persistent and passionate about giving back to my community, giving back to things I care about. And I think showing up and being present and being passionate and being available and flexible has allowed me an opportunity to be where I am today. So if you're if you care about something, just get your foot in the door some way, shape or form. At some point, if an opportunity is available, it will come to you. But for me, it's been a long game of patience. Um, 14 years at a nonprofit is, is a very long time. Yes, as uh, someone who's working in a nonprofit, I do um, sympathize with that as well. Um, Amanda, what so you were talking about your your advice of being flexible and stay with it and stay passionate and the opportunity will come. Um, what are some of for you in, in, in the current environment, what are some of the bigger challenges and the bigger frustrations that you you experience? So I opened an LGBTQ center in Alabama. And so as you might imagine, there there are a lot of complex things that come along with that. Um, I think a lot of it is our environment, which I'm really grateful to say that that has changed tremendously over the last eight years that we've been open. Um, we have incredible community support. We have incredible um, a, an incredible community period. And, and so there are a lot of really lovely things about getting to do this work here to prove to folks that Alabama does have things and the things that we have are incredible. Our community is huge and so many members are thriving and simultaneously so many people are being left out of the conversation. So many people are not included in the work that we're doing. And so for me, the most disheartening thing right now is recognizing that trans individuals, BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color folks are being left behind, um, are not being supported and have historically not been supported, right? So um, it's, for me, the biggest challenge in doing this work, work right now is the intersectionality of making sure we're showing up for people 
of all backgrounds, of all races, and recognizing power, oppression, privilege. And that is a hard pill to swallow for some folks. And so it's um, it's been really frustrating trying to get mostly white, cisgender, straight, or just white and cis folks to understand the importance of uplifting everyone in our community um, and not just those who are reflective of, of ourselves. So um, I'm really grateful that I get to do this work and I'm really grateful for the community that we have and, and for the youth who've taught me so much and for the people that we work with who've taught me so much I would not be who I am if it weren't for them. Um, but it would be really nice if, if the whole community would get on that level of wanting to support everyone um, and trans kids in particular who have just been under attack yeah. at a horrendous level the last year. So um, it's when you talk about like maintaining hope and and being patient and doing the work that we're doing, it's it's been really, really, really challenging not to just get so frustrated with the direction that we're going in in terms of not supporting individuals. And and you're referring to a lot of the political pressures right now yeah. and people feeling safe and coming out um, in a kind of bashing way. Yeah. And in it's fact, something that uh, is really disheartening is that HB 322 quietly went into effect on Friday, on July 1st. Um, and no one has said anything about it. And it is actually, it's our Alabama's version of Florida's don't say gay bill. And it is uh, more, it is more comprehensive and worse than Florida's bill in that it covers those in kindergarten through fifth grade. And so we are about to start a new school year with folks under those limitations and no one is talking about it, which means that our work is even more challenging that LGBTQ youth in middle school, which the age of 14 is about the average coming out age, who are having these conversations with themselves are being told that they can't even talk about their identity. There's no one that they can reach out to. Um, and we know that our data is in a downward trend for suicide ideation and, and LGBTQ youth really struggling. So we're at a pivotal point right now where we really need to be working to change that. So it's hard and also all the more reason that we need to be doing this work. Yes. And so in, in the work that you do both with Birmingham AIDS Outreach and the Magic City Acceptance Center, um, can you can you describe for us? I, I would I would think that the the services that are provided and the audiences that you have uh, kind of fall into several different categories. So you have uh, the LGBTQ community that can come and uh, get a variety of services that we'd like to hear more about those, and then you also do um, some outreach where you're working with the community at large on acceptance. And then you also do some advocacy work. Yeah, yeah. So you can talk about those three different buckets a little bit and people can figure out how it is that they can plug in. Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So um, just for the LGBTQ arm alone of our agency, as the LGBTQ Center, 
we do a lot. We are most well known for our youth programs and youth for us is defined as ages 13 to 24. That's the age of adolescence. Um, and we break those down into smaller components, but that's what we're most well known for. But we also have programs for children, families, adults, elders. So we are a fully fledged LGBTQ center. Anyone who needs access to any services or resources or testing, you name it, um, they are welcome to reach out to us and we'll get them connected. So that is like our main daily task that we do is just being available to our community, providing and facilitating programs both in person and online in a statewide server. So aside from being available to LGBTQ folks of all ages across the state, we also work really hard to do advocacy. So again, um, each legislative session, we want to make sure to keep people informed. We show up to the state house for these conversations. We had an incredible opportunity to train some of our legislators in LGBTQ competency, particularly trans language, so that they could um, have more meaningful conversations around the bills that were in our legislature. And then on that note, we also do training. So a huge part of what we do is we've provided I think it is close to 400 hours of LGBTQ cultural humility training in which we work with corporations, nonprofit organizations, youth serving folks, educators. Um, our joke is if you invite us, we will show up. So we're a little bit like vampires. You just have to invite us in and we will show up and be available to do whatever you need of us. Um, and that includes training. And so this training has been really important and transformative for folks. Um, we work with foster families. We work with um, all sorts of people to, to complete different modules depending on their service industry or their needs. Sometimes it's just um, an open conversation. So something we had during Pride Month was really great with the company. It was just to show up and ask us anything for a group of individuals who felt like they were already pretty affirming and, the, and they just wanted to kind of workshop different scenarios. So we're really lucky in that both Lauren Jacobs and myself are the founding staff. We are the only staff at the Acceptance Center and we've been doing this for eight years. And so at this point, there's not a question we haven't heard. There's nothing that we're not prepared for. Um, and so we really love getting to have community conversations because that's advocacy in itself. So by showing up and getting to speak with folks about creating more inclusive spaces, we are hopefully making a difference in Birmingham and across the state. So we're available to do that for folks who are interested. And so in that in that eight years that you've been doing, the, that you've been showing up for the community, what are some of the things that you hear the most often? Hmm. Um, or what do you want the community or our audience um, and the community at large to know most, like your your top five? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, I was going to say from our community, we, we have a lot of very simple things like where can I work? Where can I access safe housing? Um, it's it's very resource-based in that folks are still just trying to seek the most basic human rights that are affirming and open. From allies, the number one thing that I wish people knew was that 
allyship goes a long way, but it is an action. It is a verb. It is not a noun. And so when we do these trainings, we provide best practices and tips for supporting our community. And it's really simple things like just making sure that you are explicit in your support, that you are naming our community. If you have policies, making sure that that enumerates sexual identity, gender identity, and gender expression to fully cover the LGBTQ community. Um, and just be open to a conversation. I think so often people are silent and they think that being silent means that they are um, not causing harm. And in fact, they're doing the opposite. By being silent on issues, you are causing more harm. You are possibly perpetuating um, that harm. You are possibly allowing someone to continue saying and doing the things that they're doing. And so in your workspaces, make sure that you're stopping homophobic and transphobic remarks. Make sure that you're showing up. And most importantly, just ask your LGBTQ friends what they need. Ask, ask us what kind of support you would like to see um, or we would like to see in the community. So I think there are a lot of ways, but the biggest way is to take action and to listen. Those, those are the biggest things, like know where to step up and then also know where to step back and allow LGBTQ people to speak for ourselves. So um, it's, we're, we're not asking for a lot. We just, we just want to be supported. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of times I think that um, people make assumptions or they, you know, some of their behaviors, um, they're acting in a, in a blind spot. They're not acting out of, uh, out of malice, but it has never crossed their mind that the form that they ask for someone to fill out um, assumes certain right. things about their their lives, and it's not always accurate, right? Absolutely. We, we always lean into the idea of best intentions. We know that people have the best of intentions, and we also know that sometimes those intentions don't align with what is actually best for community folks. And so take a step back again, try to have that intersectional lens of how does this impact people who don't look like me um, or who don't identify the same way that I do things like making sure you have pronouns and, and leaving space for people to have a name that they go by and not just the given name that's on the birth certificate that may not be um, in line with who someone is and who they know themselves to be. Um, also making sure as white folks that we are holding space for BIPOC individuals to be heard and seen and elevated in every single conversation. These are things that in 2022 we shouldn't still be having to talk about, but unfortunately, again, people have the best of intentions, but they don't realize that we take up too much space. We take up too much time and energy sometimes in conversations instead of just stepping back and allowing others to speak. So um, it's it's so simple to step back and allow other people to feel elevated and seen and supported and doing what they've already been doing and doing really well for years. We just need to create more space for more folks. Do you have any advice for um, someone who may suspect that they have a coworker or a friend who identifies LGBTQ and um, they would like to approach, maybe they haven't come out, you know, and, and they would like to offer their support or let them know um, that they would be supportive. What's your advice there? 
We get that question a lot and I love it and it's so sweet. And also it's really challenging. Um, ultimately it is never appropriate to, to just ask someone if they're gay to, to try and figure out, um, who someone is or how they identify. If someone explicitly shares with you, if I were to say, you know, my wife and I, then responding positively and just in that moment, like be, be cool about it. <laughs> like, that's yeah. the biggest thing is that when people do that, just be chill, just be like, Oh, that's fantastic. Didn't know you had a wife. I'm so happy for you. Um, maybe ask something like how long have you been married or, or something along those lines. Um, but, but also don't be that person that gets so excited that they're like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, I finally met a gay person. Um, so it's, that one's really challenging. I think just showing up in your actions, making sure you're supportive. If you feel like you've done the work of allyship to a point where you can have a little rainbow flag in your office, or you can have something that, again, explicitly shows that you are an ally, that you are a supporter, those are the ways that you can make yourself known and seen. Um, the, the language you use, the words you use to stand up for people in the office, to advocate for others, um, Go to the Pride Parade. Go go to different LGBTQ events. If you make yourself known as someone who's supportive, then we will find you and share information with you. But coming to us may not always be appropriate unless you're like work besties. Um, and in that case, there might be a way to have a conversation. But for the most part, unfortunately, the hardest truth that I have to share with people is if you think you have an LGBTQ colleague, that's great. But all you know is you think you have an LGBTQ colleague and it would not ever be appropriate uh, to try and have a conversation with them unless they were to share something with you that, that shared more about their identity. Understood. Very good advice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, in the, in the time that we have left, I'd like to, um, have you share with our audience if they are interested in volunteering, if they are in need of services, if they would like to request training, what are some of the specifics of, of how they can do that? You know, if you could share with us your website and some of the resources that they could use, that would be awesome. Yeah, thank you. So we are really easy to get in touch with. All you need to do is go to www.magiccityacceptancecenter.org. Um, there is a tab there where you can request more information about training, or most simply, if you need resources, if you want access to training, if you want to have a conversation about anything and everything, you can just email me. Um, it's, it's on the website, but it's also just Keller, K-E-L-L-E-R at M-C-A-C hyphen B-A-O dot org. Um, that's honestly the easiest. Just send me an email. Let me know what you need and we'll get you in touch with resources or training uh, or anything else that you may need. So we're really easy to get in touch with and um, we, we really appreciate the opportunity to exist and be available to our community. So if you even just want to like ask questions. We have parents who reach out and say, I just want to know how to be supportive. We're available for that too. So whatever folks need, we're here for them. Great. Amanda, thank you so much. I know you are on the end of Pride Month and you guys get incredibly solicited during Pride Month. Um, it is important that we continue this work all year round, right? And not just in the month of June. I do 
want to recognize, though, that you must be exhausted. And um, we appreciate you making the time uh, to share with us uh, both your path um, and, and what you're doing in your present work and how people can uh, can take advantage of the great work that you're doing. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah, I appreciate your time tremendously. And happy Pride year round to anyone. Um, <laughs> we exist 12 months of the year. So we're, we're here and available to folks and are always happy to celebrate our community. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Momentum Matters. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast as we share more important conversations with women leaders. We would love for you to rate our show and share with women in your circle. We thank our sponsors for their support of our mission to advance women in leadership, including Regions Bank, Protective Life, and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama. A full list of corporate partners can be found at MomentumLeaders.org backslash sponsors. We also want to thank the individual donors, Momentum alum, and volunteers for their commitment to see women